Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Shape Your Work podcast with Ali Khan, that's me, and my co-host, Simone Fenton Jarvis. This is our second series, and this time we've invited people from across the world to share their experiences of the work, the issues they face, thoughts on key topics like health, satisfaction, growth, and advice that they have for all of our listeners. And that's why we call it the Diary of an Employee. So without further ado, let's hear from our new guest, Stuart Russo. With a working career in the public sector spanning 25 years, Stuart, would you like to introduce yourself in your own words? Hello, good evening. Uh, my name is Stuart Russo. Um, I've worked for the public sector for the last 22 years. Um, prior to that, I did several jobs with the private sector. Um, and I've been asked to come on and give my thoughts about being an employee in a large organisation. Well, Stuart, I have to get straight into the very, very first question there. So you've been working in public sector for quite some time there. And how did you get how did you get into the job? Because I think what's really fascinating hearing your story when we were talking was how you started from the ground level and how that potentially set you up for uh, having an amazing level of insight as you uh, worked your way up the organisation. Yeah, it's uh, a funny one, really. It's not a career path that uh, anyone would have sort of chosen um, the way it worked out. Um, Essentially, I fell into the job. Um, I finished university, didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do, um, needed money. Just I was living with my mother at the time, needed money, so doing agency work, um, and uh, did a couple of private sector jobs, then joined the agency. Um, and um, essentially, once I realised uh, the agency that um, I, I had a certain skill set of skills, um, predominantly a degree, and had sort of some potential to go to and do sort of better qualified work, um, I ended up working at the council, um, doing uh, work um, on the original wheel bin visits and things like that. Um, but um, uh, it just became a case of. Um, uh, by showing what you can do, you can then get another opportunity when another opportunity arises, you, you, you get your foot in the door uh, and you just keep working your way up. Um, and to be honest, I, haven't, I think I've only applied for one job whilst I've been at um, uh, my employer. Um, I, I've just um, effectively proved myself over and over and over again by having a positive attitude on the, on the whole, I think. Um, and, and people feel, you know what, there's an opportunity here, we've got the skill set there, match the two together and and um, uh, it sort of grew from there. Um, to be fair, um, I've probably done about six or seven different sort of segments of the work that my employer delivers, um, and doing it from the grassroots upwards, um, it gives you that real insight of what the problems are for the people on the grassroots. It also gives you an insight into where the issues are as well in terms of how um, workforce respond or don't respond um, to, to, to the um, demand from the managers um, and um, it, it makes you always look for the way to improve um, the process. I think I think that's fundamentally the biggest issue is that often organisations tend to get very structurally 
um, obsessed with the structure of the organisation and it's very much about this person does that, this person does that and where they're going to fit. And actually they start forgetting about the process, about what we're trying to deliver. So what ends up, you end up with a disjoint somewhere and, and that creates friction between staff, whether it be on the shop floor level, between shop floor and managers, um, admin staff, with various different people that can be involved in it. Um, and that's usually because there isn't a clear understanding about what we're trying to do and what's the easiest way to make that happen and where everybody's um, uh, role fits into that um, uh, sort of structure. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's an interesting one. I think uh, process mapping is something that's probably hugely underrated in a lot of organisations. I think it's almost like let's jump straight to the answer. This is what I want to see. We're going to do this, and we're going to um, just you know find the easiest and quickest way to get to that point. Uh, and actually mapping it out, understanding what's going on, um, listening to the voice of all the people that are in the process from beginning to end and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do everything that everybody feels you should do but at least if you understood all the aspects you can make a better decision on on, on how we're going to do it at the uh, the the end i mean sometimes you have budget restraints you just can't do it any other way um sometimes there might be legal restraint that yes everybody wants it to be done like this but you can't um good example is driver's hours for um uh, people working in um, driving related jobs you know you might think well this would be the easiest way to do it but actually you can't get to london to birmingham in the time allotted without breaking breaking the law so you then have to have maybe a less efficient process um so yeah sorry i might have and when no that's good and like when when i guess your organization comes up against some things where you know you've collected feedback and you can't go ahead with what people are maybe suggesting how how have your organization or how have you found what works how do we go back and communicate to people that we don't lose them on that journey that they truly see you know, that you've done your best, I guess. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I guess it's up to who's driving the process, um, sort of mapping, for want of a better word. Um, I think if you've got a facilitator, and I have done that role myself as a facilitator, um, mm. where I've actually been sat in a room with people doing the job but not having personally done those jobs myself, it's, it's often easier because you're acting as um, a critical friend, sort of you're almost probing so people trying to tell you something and then you ask a question and say, explain that a bit more we need to understand why you do that and sometimes that actually helps um draw out whether that person's feeling is important or not to the actual business because sometimes it's people's perception that are not right about why they're doing something um and and, and so their feedback can sometimes be influenced by that um um sort of uninformed perception um other times obviously it's a very valid point um and so where it's a valid point that needs to be really put in stone to why it's really important and i think that's when you get feed that back up as a facilitator to the decision makers you'll have a steering group you know a group of maybe senior managers or union people or whoever is involved in that process but it's actually pointing out what the absolute critical parts of that process are that have to happen and that could be a legal issue it could be a financial issue um it could just be a good practice whatever it is um um, so, so I think as a facilitator, it's probably their job to really try and understand the, the critical path um, uh, for everything um, and what are would likes um, rather than, you know, must haves. Um, so I think that's the most important thing. And I think... Um, 
one of the things I find as well, particularly with big businesses, um, is um, it's that sense of purpose, what you're trying to actually do. So um, if you're a small business, um, then what you've got is you, you may be just sort of telling the proverbial can of beans, let's say. You know, we make beans, we sell these beans, that's all we do. So pretty much everything is about your supply chain, bringing those goods in, your manufacturing element, your packaging, and then your distribution and sales and aftercare. Um, but it's all about beans all the way, beginning to end. That's all that matters. Um, the problem with larger organisations, you start having more and more things um, that you're delivering or trying to deliver. Um, and what, what, what that does, it means that, people start taking their eye off what they're trying to achieve and it becomes less clear what we're trying to achieve. So certainly public sector organisations, and this can be any of the public services, including the government, um, uh, you're delivering a huge range of services. A lot of them are statutory or highly expected. Um, and you've got a budget and you've got to try and break that budget down into little sort of pots. Um, and in dividing those pots up, you then have managers that are responsible for those budgets. And then suddenly you have to make a cut or make a change and you start salami slicing off the end of that budget. And it creates gaps between the various departments and services and things like that. And this can happen in multinational companies as well, where, again, you've got potentially huge a range of, of things being done um, and those gaps are a big issue for the actual employees more so than the managers because the managers may decide you know what we're accepting this um, and that they just want to push things through but what tends to happen is those gaps um, there's still a requirement there's still something that used to be done there there's still some form of demand there's still some form of issue and what tends to happen is some employees will look at the gap and say not my job don't care about it and just turn a blind eye to it and they won't suffer any stress from that at all you'll get other employees who actually can see that gap and can see that it's an issue and there may be other internal employees that want something doing to bridge that gap and then you feel almost obliged to try and step in and help and cover that gap even though there's no formal process for that or budget or, or, or staff put in place and what that actually starts happening is, is then you start doing work that you're actually uncredited for so when people say what's Joe Blog doing I don't understand what he does he does i just see him doing these two things a week but actually he's doing a hundred other things um which are actually because he's bridging those gaps where um the management structure have failed to identify what's going to happen in default of you know a service being there in that gap in the company so um i think it's a major major issue the bigger company gets the less and less clear the purpose of the company um and and, and the people individually you can have as many mission statements as you like but if the actual people in every single role don't understand what their contribution is then actually you start getting um dissatisfaction you start getting stressed you get more um clashes between people because there's not that clarity so I, I do think that really getting that sense of purpose down to every individual employee, why they do everything that they do in their job and actually understanding what is in their job and what isn't and making sure what isn't is clearly picked up by somebody else is a big way of dealing with um, large company organisations. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, one of my friends works within communications. You know, she's a communications expert, doctor and everything. And, you know, listening to everything that she's said about communications and how it kind of goes right and wrong in organisations and from my experience as well, it always feels like there's, I guess we're talking about that cycle here of like the intent, you know, what was meant to happen 
the experience of like what actually happened and then like people's expectations of well what did they actually expect because then you've got a gap between you know the dissatisfaction almost and i guess that's where the communication then needs to fill that gap um to to allow people to move on because like you know if if that's not hit essentially people are going to be dissatisfied aren't they so Stuart, thanks for that it's a really, really deep level of insight that I'd like to pick on uh, one or two points that you've just made there. You've got the experience of the public sector, yet you seem to have a really good appreciation of the private sector. And, and quite rightly pointed out that in the public sector, you're providing a service. Some of you know uh, those are statutory. Do you think that there is a disconnection or a, uh, a wider gap between employees in the public sector and their meaning and their purpose? Ooh, it's a tricky one, that. Um, I, I think uh, in the public sector, um, the expectation is there all the time um, for everything to be done and everything to be done right. Um, I, I think maybe the easiest way to explain the difference is if you said choose a private company and say if you're Morrison's um, or any other major retailer, let's say, you um, choose to shop there or you don't choose to shop there. So you have an option to, to use that service or not. And if you don't like it, for whatever reason you don't like somebody's service, you just go somewhere else. The problem with public sector is there are no alternatives in most situations. So what actually happens is the demand and pressure is there all the time and um, you, you, you can't lose those customers. Um, and it, it, it's... It, 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 what it does, it means that you've got people asking for demanding for things that are not physically possible within the service because of restraints on the budget, particularly in the age of austerity over the last 10, 15 years. Um, so um, many organisations have got almost half the budget they had back then, and yet the pressure and expectation is still there. So as employees, you can't turn these customers away. We can't say we want less customers we can't close stores and reduce our our um uh, sort of footprint all we can do is keep trying to manage that demand with less resources do you think that has an impact on employees appreciation so their appreciation or, or feeling appreciated at work by their managers and their peers around them i think if you ask um any managers or um people in the higher levels of the organization they would all definitely appreciate the value of the work that people put into it um i think there's this problem where um if everybody's under pressure and everybody's stressed um uh, it, it's you can only focus on what's in front of you and your most pressing needs all the time um and 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 you, you know i, I think as well there's a culture of always wanting somebody to be at fault um for everything that goes wrong in society um you know someone has to always fall on the sword for anything and um, everything um and controversial maybe to some people but you know i feel that doesn't actually build um strong long-term thinking it builds very much short-term protecting the, the here and now um and, um and and that's in companies as well it's not just a public sector thing um people just don't want to be the person that's having to deal with a bit of a, a, a an accident if you want to say um and and so it becomes very protectionist it becomes almost let's not do think about what we can do let's think about what we can't do just to minimize exposure and risk in some some situations um yeah 
I guess you're talking about kind of blame finger pointing rather than, I guess, in some organisations and the, 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 the good case studies that I've seen, it's very much along the lines of how do we keep that adult-adult relationship and avoid the kind of parent-child relationship? And I, I think that's what I'm hearing here is that I'm, I'm hearing that maybe sometimes you're experiencing that finger pointing, the blame and the avoidance of risk, I guess because things are different in in the, the sectors that you're you've been working in yes I, I guess there's an element of counterintuitiveness sometimes that creeps into um situations where perception is what's driving certain decisions to be made um but actually the science or logic suggests otherwise but because you're dealing with um, a, a system that's based on popular appeal. Um, unfortunately, if people aren't really understanding the nuances of a situation or an issue, then um, the, the the sort of popular appeal and perception is that oh, we have to match that, and so we'll do this. When actually, it may be more cost effective, or it may actually be more beneficial to do a different thing. Um, so I suppose it, it treads very dangerously on the issue about democracy and and and. The way that we have governance within um, uh, this country, um, but I think maybe you could turn that and say, well, it's not so much about the de- democratic side of it. It's more about do we trust um, uh, ourselves to put as much information and educate people on all the things that are out there to try and change people's understanding and perception. Uh, and you could argue that's been very much the issue about the, um, for example, in COVID about um, the, the worries about. Um, uh, vaccinations and various other things because of an increase in almost conspiracy theory related um, uh, behaviours but actually one of the big ways of combating that is through data and through information you could argue extremism you know the growth of extremism on both sides has been very much related to a lack of understanding by people about the, the data behind it and, and, and actually it's not the democratic system it's probably the fact that we don't trust people to look at the data and, and, and handle the information that we provide them. Well, this, this, this is really insightful, I think, from so many different perspectives, both about the industry that you're in, as well as the experiences that you're having. And that's what this is about from a diary perspective, I guess. I've got a couple of quick fire questions to try to build up a little bit more of a picture about you personally and your experiences. So <clears throat> with, I, I guess that said, would you say that you personally, you're able to use your time efficiently and without distraction at work, given that you've got all of these changing, you know, um, dimensions and pressures all the time and different priorities. Frankly, no, um, I don't. Um, and it, it's no particular person's fault. I think this is part of the problem of um, picking up things that don't get done um, due to a, a clear structure. Um, with the retraction of services away from each other, things um, start falling through the gap because they're not seen as priorities. And then those things suddenly after a period of time become real issues because they hamper other people's jobs. And then people have to start picking those gaps up. And if you've got a very clearly defined role, like if your job is just to manage a team of people and that's it, if your job is just to deal with a certain budget and that's it, it's much easier to deflect away the, the distraction. Um, where you've got a less defined job 
probably a bit like mine, um, what tends to happen is it's by default things come to you because you're the person that has to fix the problem or at least try and work out what the problem is and provide solutions so managers to make decisions on. So um, it's no individual person's fault, but I think organisationally um, I'm a, a person who is highly affected by the lack of clarity on, 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 on what we're supposed to be doing and who is supposed to be doing that. Yeah, wonderful. And we know how um, role clarity is such an important uh, foundational tenet of anybody's uh, anybody's job role. Um, another question for you then, and I'm sorry, these are coming uh, quite deeply kind of embedded into, uh, you know, um, the, the philosophy, I guess, of how, how you might work. But do you, do you think status and reputation, largely speaking, in the public sector or your experience, is earned or do you think it's given? I, I don't know if it's any different to the private sector in this. Um, I think, um, yes, you can earn um, uh, respect and status um, by your competence at your job. Um, uh, by I think even more so about your attitude, your willingness to help people when they needed help. Um, it's just little things like gatekeeping. You know, you do a bit of gatekeeping, people need an answer. You don't know the answer, but you've got an idea who does. We're putting these people in touch and suddenly people are grateful and they always remember that, that your attitude helped them do their job better. So you earn an element of respect through that. Um, I think um, there is also an element such as in the private sector too where people are very good at talking the talk but don't necessarily walk the walk um, and I think you can find that in any organisation not just the public sector um, there's I think sometimes people tend to look at a job description and look at the wage that's on offer rather than the requirements that the job needs. Um, and um, I've come across this definitely externally as well as internally. And I'm thinking, you know what, I think you're a bit out of your depth on this particular job. And, um, you know, I, I'm talking over what? 25 years of work you know history um, so it's no particular person again at this point in time um, but yeah you can get both you can get people who probably are above where they should be and you get other people who have earned where they should be yeah do you know what like that really resonates as well from like a, a, a private sector that I'm used to because essentially like there's been a bit of a was there uproar around how many jobs are being advertised that the salary is not actually mentioned on it and everyone's like, I want to know the salary before I talk about the job. And actually, I can see why people don't know, learn about the job, and then we'll, we'll discuss the salary. You know, is this job the right fit for that person? And whereas I think within the public sector, I always see, you know, wages are very, very over, you know, it's always a grade or a banding or something. And I think, you know, may, maybe that is driving people into a job and they're, they, they get in where they are rather than earning where they are, if you know what I mean, because they've, they've had the guts to go and apply for a job that they're not maybe even qualified or experienced and even doing sometimes as well. Yes, it's a very good point that actually um, uh, it, the um, banding system is part of the equal opportunity set up within all public sector um, uh, uh, employers um, to basically make sure that anybody of any particular group uh, get the same pay as, as anybody else. Um, so in some ways it's helped and it's achieved this parity of pay. Um, but at the same time, it's very much that's part of the problem is that it does become about which band is it before what, does, what do the job entail. And I think also 
there is a, an issue as well with the very rigid um, system where the um, uh, equal opportunities kind of structure means that you have to have very prescriptive interview processes um, and it literally is questioned very, you know, yes, no, um, or very factual-based answers. And, and it can be difficult sometimes to... Um, as a manager to really explore that person's wider understanding. Um, you know, there is a skill set that you need to have to be able to do a public sector interview to, to try and stick to that equal opportunity. Everybody's been asked the same question and had the same opportunity, but at the same time, sometimes to deal with the individual people's needs in the interview process. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree. The banding process, I think, yeah. is is probably a big cause of that. Yeah. And I think when we go back to like the role clarity and banding, something that's interesting that stood out to me this week is um, within the NHS, obviously, there's the, the whole talk around nurses going on strike. There was an article that came out this week, and it was basically saying that the problem with the NHS is that doctors and nurses stick to their role clarity and their job clarity, um, and they should be more flexible in their description of their roles, and they shouldn't be necessarily sticking to what's in their job description. And on one hand, I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But on the other, I'm like, there's a reason why a doctor's doing that, that surgery or that, you know, assessment rather than a nurse. There's that angle, you know, from a safety point of view. But there's also, look at the difference in the salary bandings. Why should the nurses that are already running around pick up even more tasks? And I think when you get into that role clarity, some organisations are great at really defining what the jobs are doing and some are really awful. And then there's different pressures. Have you, have you, is that something you've kind of come across? Yeah, I, I think um, the, the, the whole issue about... Um public sector pay rises across many different um, uh, sort of organisations. It's an interesting one. Um, and um, one of the things I feel is sort of answering your question is that about how organisations are um, describing the reason why they need to have these pay rises or um, uh, adjustments. Um, and, and I think sometimes the, the, the messaging isn't very well thought out. Um, so one of the big issues that I kept hearing about, for example, in the NHS is about burnout and it's about um, uh, people being stressed and overworked and feeling very down and you know, affecting their health. And for me, that's all really, really important. But the interesting thing is, is how does a pay rise fix that issue? And actually, you could argue if the issue that the employees are reporting into their union reps and their managers is burnout, I'm working too many hours, I need a, a better work-life balance. That money would be better put into employing more staff to work alongside them to reduce the workload and give people a, a better work-life balance. And, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not singling out the NHS. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't get what they want. But I think there's an issue about, again, it comes back to this lack of clarity and purpose. What is the purpose of this um, uh, action? Uh, and what is the actual best outcome for the staff? And, and again, people think it, a pay rise will make everything okay. But uh, my own personal case, if someone offered me another £10,000 a year, I wouldn't really want that. I'd actually want put that £10,000 and have somebody else taking some of the work off me because actually the thing that's most important to me is actually the not feeling stressed anymore about the work that I do. Um, so so that, there is that thing about organisations not being very clear. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, I've got, I've got experiences of that as well in that, you know, previously I've asked for a pay rise and, you know, all the research says that pay rise is great for the first three months. Month four, it just wears off. It just turns into more tax that you end up paying. You know, that, that impact wears off and it's no longer fun. And then you're back to the whole, 
well, I'm still well, I've still got burnout and I'm still overstretched and okay, I'm just paying a little bit more tax and I've got a little bit more money, but hey, I've got no time or energy to spend it. And I think, you know, there's there's a there's a quick fix mm. element here in that it's much easier to give a pay rise and get to the root of the actual problem. Absolutely. Absolutely agree there. Stuart, this is this is great. Thank you very much, you know, for um the the deeper dive into what I think are genuinely the concerns of real business today from management perspective and the view of an employee. Just one of the points you made there about being able to manage your stress, that's one of the things that you're trying to do. Do you think you, you know, people generally have an understanding of the sources of their stress? Um, I think if you've been through stress previously and you've managed it or somebody has helped you manage it you're going to recognize those sources a lot easier a lot quicker you're going to be able to be more uh, philosophical about how you make decisions and not make decisions when you're not in a good place not rush into things saying i don't feel good i'm leaving that sort of kind of attitude um I think the key is that when you first start getting stressed, you've never been there before and you've never had the benefit of hindsight. Um, so um, it, everybody's different. I mean, you've got the different personality groups. I suppose that people fit in introverts, extroverts, whether people have a good support network around them. Um, sometimes the level of education that you've got can be important in that because understanding how the brain works and the serotonin and all the various things that sort of comprise a good mental health. Um, if you're not familiar with all that, um, it can be a bit almost Pavlovian, your response that you feel bad so you do something that you then go on and regret. Um so um, I think there is an issue about um, uh, mental health for people who are maybe younger or, or maybe working their way up the organisation to maybe more stressful positions. Um, but I, I think these days there's a lot better communication about uh, mental health and dealing with stress um, at every level of society. You see it in football these days, you see it at children's grassroots level, you see it in offices, we, we, it's literally everywhere. You get this real kind of um, sense of, you know, we need to look after our mental health so i think people would have to be a little bit um oblivious or dismissive to have got to a stage where they were totally unaware about the things they need to be um uh focusing on for good personal mental health and managing your own mental health wonderful Stuart. i can't thank you enough for being a guest on uh the the podcast thank you so so much you have um brought to life so many of the different topics that we like to talk about and to get into the detail and hear it from a different life perspective has been fantastic so thank you very very much thank you very much indeed for having me on you've heard today from the perspective of a long-term employee there's lots to be said of someone who started with a hands-on role at the bottom of the ladder perhaps we can argue this brings not just deeper understanding of the inner workings of the business but also a strong ability to empathize with the employees at the grassroots levels and being able to represent the voice at the management layer. This kind of experience of self-discovery, building core knowledge and skills can't be underestimated in its ability to inform and inspire. We've heard about finding the balance between the structure and the processes. Both of them matter, but they also go hand in hand. Of course, we can't ignore the interview is about the public sector, but how much of what we heard today is relevant to the private sector as well? Well, from what we've heard today, lots of it. We can 
all fall into the trap of hierarchical misunderstandings, poor communication, pressure to conform, budget and legal constraints, all the kinds of things that happen every single day everywhere. However, equally while private sector gives you luxury of choice, in the public sector you have one only one supplier. So there is real pressure to get things right, meet the ever-increasing demands while pressure on resources keep growing. Thanks, Simone. You know, if we come up 10,000 feet and just think about what we've heard, well, I'm just contemplating listening to you that we've heard about themes like time management, promotion, managing pressures, role clarity, sense of purpose, health management, business concerns, burnout, diversity and inclusion. So all the kind of things that, that we measure within the SHAPE survey as well. And so to have that high quality and consistent employee conversation is really possible. Thanks for joining us and um, listening to our special guest on Diary of an Employee. And don't forget, you can follow us on LinkedIn and send us an encouraging thumbs up if you like what you've heard. And these are all your stories. We're here to help you give you that voice. So see you next time on the Shape Your Work podcast.